Hello and welcome to The Widow Podcast. I am your host, Karen Sutton, The Widow Coach. I am a widow, a mum, a health coach, a life coach and grief coach. I want to help you see that you really can create something truly meaningful after loss. You have everything you need within you and I want to help you find it so you can see how capable and amazing you really are. Helping you find a more positive way through your grief. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Widow Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to be able to bring along to The Widow Podcast the lovely Lauren from at I'm Sorry We're Friends on Instagram. Lauren is incredible, obviously a widow herself and a mum and shares so much wisdom on her page on Instagram. Just, I mean, some of your posts, Lauren, on there, they they blow me away. You, you know, you have such a, a wonderful way of sharing your story and putting your experience into words. It really touches so many hearts. And I know we've spoken before, haven't we? We've done a, a, a live or two, I think, on, on Instagram historically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to invite you on to the Widow podcast because you really do share your story so well and I think so many will resonate with you and your experience but also you know that the hope that you offer in in terms of going through the the experience the grief but being able to find light in a dark place as well so welcome and thank you for coming along Lauren Thank you. It's such an honor. I'm so proud of you too. What an amazing uh, opportunity that you've given yourself because you are light as well. And I know that um, we both kind of found each other in this crazy Instagram world. And I was so drawn to you even before you had had your podcast and you were doing your coaching. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you have been given this chance. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? You, You know, and I just... I do have a love-hate relationship with social media because there, there are sides of it that don't work so well, but there are there are sides of it that are brilliant. And, and you are definitely one of those oh, sides. You. Um, you know, I've, I've loved reading about you and your story. And like I say, your, your words just, they just touch a place in your heart. You know, you do have a gift and writing is, is something that comes very naturally to you. You're, you're brilliant at it. But I mean, I'm sure most people do know you, um, but for those that don't, do you want to share your story, Lauren, and and what happened? Yeah, of course. Yes. So Kevin and I were together for about nine and a half years. We had been married for about three and a half years and had a little 14 month old when Kevin on November 23rd of 2019 had gone off on a mountain bike ride with his race team and never came back. So he was supposed to come home at 12 o'clock that afternoon. And I had been text messaging him and no response. And so I had taken loss and Kevin was notorious. And I think I had told you this before, but he was notorious for always being late. He ended up grabbing a beer after a ride or finding a friend at one of the local houses and hanging out. And so I didn't really think much about it at first. And so I was in my master's program and my mom had been watching Lawson that morning and I knew I needed to get home. I was at the coffee shop. So I grabbed Lawson, let kind of relieve my mom of her duties and went to my favorite store target and was running around. And I knew that Kevin and I had made plans to go to the local zoo 
around two or three. And so I'd gone home about two and he still wasn't home. And we did have GPS on our phones because he did do a lot of night rides. He was um, on a mountain bike team and he also rode the, he was a cyclist. So he would ride home from work at night. And so we had GPS just in case anything did happen or like I couldn't get a hold of him. I could find out where he was. Mm. So I had looked at his GPS even before I left for Target and he was on this road, La Honda Drive in Escondido, just about 15 minutes from our home. And when I looked again, he was still in that same location. And so I had messaged him um, in a panic, really. If you don't message me back, I'm going to come to where you are. I don't know what's going on if this isn't like you. And so I started thinking, okay, who is he with? I didn't really know a lot of his teammates phone numbers, but I did know their wives. So I'd reached out to a wife and she gave me a number of one of the men that he was with. And so I called Mark and Mark wasn't expecting my phone call. And so he did answer and just instantly went silent when I told him that it was me. And I had kind of been like, where are you guys? Are you guys having a beer? This is crazy. What are you guys doing? And, um, I remember I was in the living room and I was staring at Lawson. He had just started to learn how to walk like just a few weeks before. And so I was kind of like at his level and helping him walk around. And um, the next thing that Mark said was, are you home with anyone? Is there anyone there that can be with you? And I just instantly knew that this, this isn't um, Kevin crashed and is in the hospital I knew that this was the real deal and I started screaming and everything kind of just went numb. I like fell to the ground and I just asked him multiple times, is he dead? Is he dead? And he said, I'm going to be over there in just a minute. And I hung up on him and I just started, I called my mom and I called my sister and I'm like yelling, Kevin's dead, Kevin's dead. And no one, you know, everyone was so confused. No one had any idea what I was talking about. Um, and so it felt like hours. I'm sure everyone got over to our house in minutes and Mark included and came and told us that, um, Kevin had been with a group of about seven men and he and his friend Jill's decided they were going to break off from the group for just a few minutes and grab a snack. And so they snacked and they all had a destination of meeting at the end of, they were in a city park. And so they were going to meet outside of the park. And it was just like this two lane road that went into a residential area. And so Kevin and Jill were riding down the hill to meet with the rest of the group and a man who was high on methamphetamines and drunk on alcohol decided and we'll never know why, but he decided to drive on the wrong side of the road, um, going 65 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone and hit Kevin around a blind curve. So Kevin never saw it coming. He was riding and Jill's was right in front of him. So Jill's was missed just by inches. Um, but Kevin was hit and killed instantly. And I've told this story and it's so interesting because I've gotten the feedback of like, why didn't anyone tell you? Because we didn't hear from the police that happened at 1152 AM. And we didn't hear from the police until six o'clock that night. But what had happened was it became a crime scene investigation and had killed Kevin was a felon. 
and he was on parole and he fled the scene. And so they were still looking for him. And uh, we didn't know any of this at the time. Um, and even the men that were with Kevin that day, that none of them knew the police had just asked that they did not say anything to us. So Mark was put in a really sticky situation as well, because he was told by the police to not say anything, but then I had called him and he had answered. And Mark was also is a pastor. And so he's kind of, you know, well-versed in loss and knew that he needed to be there with us and to support us. But um, yeah, I'd gotten a lot of comments over the, the years when I'd written about my loss, like, Oh, how did you not know? And that was one of the reasons it just became a huge thing and was all over the news by the next day. And that in itself is just so wild when you're processing um, your spouse's death. And then all of a sudden he's all over the place on the news and they're still searching for the person that killed him. So yeah, in a wild nutshell, that's uh, how we lost Kevin that day on November 23rd. So tragic and, and just so tragic. It's, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and, you know, through, through all the different losses that we have, there's, I think there must be real difficulty in losing somebody from being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's Absolutely. very, yeah, it, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't believe in comparing or that there's a worse or a lesser loss, but I think you can notice differences. And for me, you know, Simon died of a heart attack whilst on a bike ride. And th there's a part of me that can kind of make peace with the fact that that was meant to happen. His, that mm -hmm. there was something medically wrong, physically wrong with his body. And, and it would have happened at some point had it not have happened at that exact point. Um, it almost provides us comfort when we can say, mm. oh, it was because of A, B, or C that this happened. And yes, yeah. I, I completely agree. I would never say that my process was more difficult than anyone else's. I, but I do ha have connected with many, many widows who we've discussed that feeling of just instant loss mm. and the difference between, and I mean, yours was instant also, but like, you know, the traumatic, mm. the instant, the, um, yeah. the long yeah. cancer, you know, type of, of, um, loss as well. And mm. it, there is definitely a difference. I don't mm. know in, in the sense of how hard and how difficult it is. I think they're all difficult. It's never yeah. going to be easy to lose someone. No. That's for sure. But there was a process that I had to go through after Kevin's death of just even, Oh gosh, sitting with the anger of someone violating my husband's body in the yes. way that he was violated. I mean, Kevin was a beautiful, healthy 36 year old man, um, mm. who was taken in such a horrific way and had mm. things done to his body. That was just so, so, so terrible that, um, that was really, really I mean, it still hurts, but, um, yeah. that the, the depth of that pain, the sharpness of it isn't there so much anymore. And I didn't realize it until I think I was actually in a, I think I did some like trauma informed therapy yeah. in the beginning. And the woman who was running the therapy, she said, we have to process that violation. And I did not realize at all that I was mm. even holding on to that sadness mm. and that anger and I just thought I was 
not just, but that I was grieving the loss of my husband, but I'm like, no, I'm grieving yeah. so many different layers mm-hmm. of his death mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that's it, isn't it? You know, there's that it's different layers with different losses. And I guess when something like that happens, there are extra layers um, mm-hmm. that you have to work through that, you know, it is traumatic. And I guess it, you know, it, it probably, I'm assuming, exacerbates that bargaining side of grief that, that is talked about, you, you know, the what if he hadn't done this or what if he'd been two minutes oh, yeah. later or what if he'd just done this or turned off there or stayed with the All of that, that must Gosh. be, yeah, just, you know, much deeper rooted for you mm-hmm. and, and more to, to work through. So, I mean, who did you turn to then for, for support um, oh to, to cope with your grief? Those first few days were just such a haze. I didn't know up from down. I didn't know what time it was. I was still breastfeeding our son. And I remember my mom saying, well, is it time for him to eat? I'm like, what time is it? What day is it? I don't even know. And so I feel like the first couple of days, everyone carried me, my family. Mm. It was my close friends and my family. And I just absolutely leaned on them for everything because I was, it was an out of body experience. I, I posted something about this a long time ago, but that this feeling of almost being claustrophobic in my own body, Mm. like I just wanted to peel out of my skin. And I think now looking back, it's like, you just wanted to peel out of that reality. Like I was like, this is like my, my brain was trying to process, like, this isn't my life. This has got to be someone else's life. Like I kept feeling like I was in this sci-fi movie, right. And that I was actually the one helping someone else when Mm. in fact my life was on the news and my husband was dead and I was dealing with this and everyone was coming to me, but, um, it was, it was, so that, that beginning phase was really, really challenging. And you have no idea what you need, who can help you. No one can take that pain away from you. So Um, my family, my friends for sure were those who I relied on. And then within a 24 hour period, I got a text message from another widow and we shared mutual friends and her name's Ashley and she's a local widow and she had lost her husband. He was a firefighter and he had died, um, in a local fire about the year previous year and a half previous. And basically she just texts me, are you breathing? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this person gets it. They get mm-hmm. it. I don't even know how to explain that to most people. They would think, what do you mean? Are you breathing? Of course you're breathing, but it felt, everything felt like you had to remind yourself to do those breathe in, breathe out, um, feed your child, feed yourself, drink water. Like nothing was natural anymore. Everything took effort. And so we connected. And then again, like 48 hours after that, I had another woman reach out to me, Shanna Kreza, and her husband was a local fire captain who was hit and killed on his bike, just like Kevin wow. by a drunk driver and almost a year previous to the date. And, you know, Kevin was killed right before Thanksgiving. And so she was kind of like, listen, I don't know you, but we're sisters And I'm going to get you through this holiday and it's not going to feel like a holiday and you're going to feel numb and people are going to be going in and out of your house and you're going to be going in out of other people's homes and you're not going to remember it. And I'm here for you, whatever you need. And so speaking to those women 
instantly made me realize who I needed. And I needed people in my life besides just my family who actually understood that depth of pain that you were going through and could hear all the crazy thoughts coming out of your mind because there's that too, right? You're also jealous. I was around the holidays. I was jealous that everyone had a Thanksgiving and, but I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want to seem selfish. And then here are my girls and they're like, Oh yeah, no, we've gone through this. We've done this. Yeah. Yeah. Take it out all out and give it to us, you know? Um, so very, very quickly on, I, I connected with other widows and I just knew that that was the space that I needed to move Mm. forward with life and Mm. to to heal. Mm. Do you know what I think coming together with people that really and truly understand what you're going through it's powerful it's almost magical isn't it it just what it can bring that just silent knowing and not having to explain everything you you Mm -hmm. know it's it's you know that they know and it really helps us I think feel feel less alone and less isolated because you know people are wonderful aren't they and family and friends are wonderful but it is that feeling of it's only me. And and sometimes it feels like this is only, this is only happening to me in the whole world. I'm the only one that feels like this. And and it's so awful. And I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And you have awful thoughts. Mm. I remember, I mean, things I think people don't talk about that you can talk about with your widow sisters. And it was like, why not her husband? Why my husband? He's a jerk. He cheats. He does this. He does that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking these horrible things about people and people whom I love, like what is wrong with me? There's so much guilt associated with Mm. death of a spouse and and widowhood and all those kind of things too, because it is a very selfish time. And Mm. I think you need it, but it's all these thoughts that you're trying to process. Mm. They're really heavy and they're, they're scary to share with people that, you know, are out of that understanding. I mean, yes. I remember even saying very early on that if something happened to my son, I'm taking the white flag, I'm done, I'm out. And I wasn't saying, oh, I want to take my life, but I was like, mm. I don't, I truly couldn't imagine a life without mm. Kevin and without Lawson. And so I would tell my mom and my sister, like, I could not live this life. And it would terrify them. Mm. They were so scared for my well-being. And then again, I would go and I would speak to Shanna and my girlfriend, Amanda and Lauren, all these women who ended up connecting with. And they were like, oh, we have the exact same thoughts. Like, mm. we know you want to be here. Um, but we also know how terrifying it is, especially back to what you were saying about <clears throat> that instant loss, which you probably mm. experienced as well. It's like I kissed Kevin in the morning and he never came home. Mm. And it was this reality that life is that fleeting Mm -hmm. and our last goodbye might be our final goodbye. And so all of a sudden I became terrified of all the people that I loved, especially my son leaving me. Oh, well, if Kevin could leave, because Kevin was also one of those people that everyone thought was invincible. He was tough and he had such great skills on the bike. You would think that in any circumstance, he'd be able to get himself out of a situation like that. There, there were so many things. And so again, that connection to a community of people who get it because my mom and my sister were like, we need to institutionalize you, you know, we're terrified for, 
for you. We're scared for us. We love you so much. We don't want to lose you. And I'm like, I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. I'm just trying so yeah. desperately to get across like all these fears that are coming to me now. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just having that group, it, it, it really, there, there's, there's nothing. It was the life vest that yeah. I needed in that moment. Yeah. And do you, do you still have those fears, Lauren? Are they still there for you that, that, that fear of, of life and death? And I mean, for me, certainly, you know, I'm always catastrophizing about something that's going on with me. I think, you know, like everything that, that slightly hurts, I've just, I've made it into the fact that I'm going to die. And, and equally, you know, with the children, there's that, that fear, because like you say, you learn that actually, we can be gone in an instant you know all these things that happen and it's it really is quite frightening isn't it do you still have to work hard is that settled for you so actually this is something I haven't shared with anyone last year in September of last year I believe I so almost two years after Kevin was killed I started experiencing heart palpitations and chest pain and arm numbness and so I ended up at the ER um, for thinking I was having a heart attack and they did all these things and I, I wasn't. And then I started having dizzy spells and basically couldn't even function at work. And here I am in this brand new position and I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? My, my superior is going to think that I'm not capable and all these things were happening to me. So after the second ER visit, for the exact same things, just like a consistent arm numbness, dizzy spells. I fell at work, all this stuff. Um, I ended up being diagnosed with a late onset PTSD from Kevin's death. And so I went back to therapy because I had kind of stopped going to therapy for a while. Cause I thought that I was managing my stress and processing my grief, um, in a healthy way. And so after that, I started to speak with a doctor and he basically was magic. I grew up in a family that was, we didn't even believe in Tylenol, you know, not believe in that's not the right yeah, word, but like we had a headache. It was like, you power through it medicine. You don't need it. It's like in case it's just worst case scenario and less is worst case scenario. And I finally met this doctor who said, you know, when you've gone through a super traumatic experience, sometime your, sometimes your brain literally releases all of its serotonin and is unable to replenish it in a way that it needs. And so he suggested being put on an antidepressant for a while, just a super low dose. I was very, very hesitant and I'd never been on anything like that before. And I felt like it was a weakness and I felt like, oh, I had to kind of process that as well, because there was so much behind my fear of just medication and, and all other things, but I ended up going on it and it was a, it was a game changer for me. It just, it really did give me that little bit of support and help that I needed because I was in a really, I, I didn't realize what a bad space I was in until after going to therapy and getting on medication for a while. Um, I catastrophized everything the second that Lawson would get sick, I thought he was going to die. And especially you, then you add in the pandemic because the pandemic hit just months after Kevin was killed. And so there was so much isolation and everyone was fearing dying in some respects. Mm. And 
I thought that maybe I was dying with all these things that I was experiencing, all these physical ailments. And so, yes, to answer your question, I, I had a really hard time. I actually felt that it had gotten worse. I was having panic attacks. Um, my mom, I was literally waking my mom up in the middle of the night and saying like, please come rub my back. I felt like I was like a, a baby again. And then I'd have to get up and go to work and function like a normal adult. And like internally, I was just, um, I was absolutely miserable. So I love Megan divine. She talks a lot on her page and in her book, uh, it's okay that you're not okay about anxiety mm -hmm. after loss. And it is a real deal. I experienced anxiety before, but the threshold of anxiety that I experienced after losing Kevin and the way that I lost Kevin, um, it really took a toll on me and it took a toll on my mental health. And um, I'm really appreciative that I was able to listen to a doctor and understand his scientific perspective of what had gone on in my brain. Yeah. And what I needed, even if it was just temporary support to yeah. get me back to a state of, cause I was basically explained, it was like, you're just in constant survival mode. So your body is never like, it's never in a normal state. It's always heightened. I mean, and if a door would slam loudly, I would jump and I had no clue what was going on. I'd never been like that ever in my life. Mm. So that was, um, that was a really, really yeah. rough phase of my life. And that was September and October of last year. And then I kind of started getting back into a normal state and into a normal groove in November and December of last year. And now I feel like, again, I'm, I'm back to being, um, the person that I would say has your typical anxieties about things, but I am not in that fight or flight. I'm mm. not in the survival mode anymore. Mm. And I, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And do you know what? Thank you so much for sharing that Lauren, because you know, it's, these things are hard, aren't they? And I think we get to a certain really point hard. in our grief where we kind of go, Oh, it's okay. You know, so certain amount of time has passed. Um, I should be doing okay. Like we have mm. these expectations of where we should be at a certain point in, in our grief. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say that after, you know, a couple of years that yeah, you, sh you should be all right. You should be you've dealt right. with it. It's, it's all OK. And 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 that's not the case at all. You know, it can come back and bite us on the bum really years down the line. It really can. Yep. And I think, you know, there's this this expectation on ourselves to be doing better and just to, to kind of own up to ourselves and say, actually, this this is a problem and, and I need some help. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very brave. It's very brave, but it's also frightening, isn't it? Because you just think, oh, this is hard. This is really hard. And, and the, the ongoing effects and these experiences that happen to us in our lives, they really do compound the rest of our lives, you know? And as much as we do have a choice in how we respond to these things and, and you know, it doesn't have to define us in a negative way, it's still trauma, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that can manifest itself in very different ways for in, mm -hmm. in different people in, in the body. And I think we all need some help sometimes. So we do. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very, I think medication and how you process grief and what you need is such a touchy subject and it's really sensitive and it's mm. so individual yeah. and I don't prescribe anything for 
anyone. It's like, you have to figure out what is best for you. And like I said, I also had to process for myself that this wasn't a weakness. This is possibly something that I need to be the best person that I could be because I was also being a terrible mom. I couldn't Mm -hmm. take care of myself. So how am I supposed to be taking care of my child? I was just continuously being impatient and, um, I was already at my threshold. And so Mm -hmm. I had no tolerance for anything else. And I had to just step back and say, what is best for me in this moment? This isn't a permanent thing. This can be a temporary thing, but I need help. And I think being able to acknowledge I need help, whatever that may be, whether it's group support, therapy, medication, whatever it may be, Mm. you do for you and you do what's right for you. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? And that's such an important message, isn't it? To to share with people, because I think we're, we're not very good at doing that. We think we should be strong. We should power on. Mm-hmm. We can get on with it. And, and when we're in it and we're dealing with it, we, we sometimes forget the enormity of the reality of our situation mm-hmm. because we're so busy getting on with our lives and working and kids and seeing people and putting on the brave face that we kind of think, do you know what? Let's just just keep going you know the time will pass it will get better but time alone isn't enough you know we need to to work through it and like you say that can look like therapy support groups medication whatever it looks like for you find that thing you know reach out for the help wherever Mm -hmm. you are in your journey you know I have Mm -hmm. clients that come to me five six seven years in um that there's no judgment is there there's no timeline just finding what feels right for you so I mean you talked about what has worked for you in your grief and what supported you did you do anything that was you know you reflect back and think "Mm, that was a questionable choice (laughs) you know you 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 know the things that we do to try and get us through our grief that in hindsight you think yeah that that probably wasn't ever going to help but (laughs) I tried it anyway I got really lucky in the sense that I didn't, although I will say that the two things that happened after losing Kevin were that I stopped exercising, which I, I wish I hadn't, but I did not grief takes every ounce of your physical and mental energy. And I commend the women that I know, like Emily Bingham, who, who took their grief and were able to use, you know, that and put it into fitness and really, really propel themselves during that time. I was the exact opposite. I went from working out like five, six days a week to if I worked out once or twice in a month, that was, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just could not get myself to act. So that was something that I don't feel like was effective for me at all. I, I wish that I had gotten out and walked more and just kind of released the endorphins and the things that I really needed to process mm-hmm. Kevin's death and to move through everything. And then the other thing that I did was I drank every single night and I didn't get wasted. It was nothing like that, but it was like, Oh no, mama's going to have a glass of wine or yeah. two every single night. And it was like that for the first year. And again, I don't think that that's the best thing. Um, but for me, it's what got me through on the nights, especially being alone by myself and trying to, you know, figure things out as a solo parent and Mm -hmm. as, um, as a widow, but I, I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't go out and get crazy. I didn't, um, date early on. And then kind of, cause I did have some girlfriends that are like, Oh, I started dating like a month in to my husband's death because 
I was terrified of being alone. And this is the way that worked for me, but I really regret that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any experiences like that. It was more just like those little day in day out things that I used to do, not drink every single day and drink on the weekends or, or exercise five or six times a week and then not be exercising mm-hmm. at all. And that actually took a really long, I'm still having a hard time with the exercise piece. It's gotten better, but it is, it's still a challenge. And I think it's a challenge in different respects now than it was in the beginning from being exhausted, but, um, being a widow and being a solo parent still plays a role for me Mm. and then working full time in the exercise piece. And so I've been trying to be very intentional about getting that back into my life. because I know that that is something that's extremely helpful for uh, my grief, my mental well-being, my physical health, all of those things. But mm. yeah, no, I don't have any wild, crazy stories about any uh, things that I did per se that were actually, I'd gotten some great advice from some widows in the beginning because months into Kevin dying, I wanted to buy a new home. We lived in a home together and we had already discussed that we wanted to sell it because it was going to be too small if we had baby number two. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I just had this extreme desire to sell. I need to sell my house. I want to get out of it. It's not not at home anymore. It's just a house. And I had a girlfriend of mine say, wait a year and see how you feel. Any big decision, wait a year, see how you feel. And any big monetary or like sentimental decision. And so I did wait on it. And I was really, really grateful that I did. I did still end up selling our home. But I stayed in the house for another year and a half after Kevin died. And so I felt that when I did say goodbye and when I did put it up for sale, that I was genuinely ready to move forward with that part of my life and move into a home that was more suitable for myself and for Lawson. Mm. Um, so that was a really great piece of advice that I got from, from someone that ended up helping me. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think it's those little nuggets that we need sometime, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it doesn't work for everyone. Some people desperately need to get out in that first year and, and that's the right thing for them. But yep. for you, it was the right thing to, to wait. So that, that was, you know, that piece of advice for you right there in that moment was, exactly. was very needed and, and helped you find peace. With and I think you brought such a great point that I think one of the hardest things about grief is that it is so individual. So what feels right to one person may not feel right to another or like going out and, or dating early on or whatever, it may be right for you. There is no judgment here. I have none of that. I think we are the most judgmental on ourselves and we worry what everyone else is going to think of us, but it really is about what feels correct inside of your grief. And so that's, that's a great, great point. Cause I don't ever want to make anyone feel like what they're doing isn't right. That yeah. it, that's like not a thing. No. It, it, it's right. Isn't it? You know, and even when you look back and you say, well, I drank every night and I didn't exercise so much and I, and I wish I hadn't done those things, but like you say, it's, it's learning not to criticize and judge yourself, isn't it? Because you did what you did at the time to get you to where you needed to mm-hmm. get to. Mm-hmm. And if that was what you needed, you, you know, I, I did a podcast um, with a, a lady called Shalini a, a few weeks back and, and she spent 18 months drinking, taking painkillers and, and just got into a, a very dark hole of, of depression mm-hmm. and, you know, really withdrew. And it's, you know, we really can 
take ourselves to a dark place and, and we do things that mm-hmm. in, you know on reflection we can think why 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 did I do that that and we can judge and criticize ourselves but actually at the time with what you were going through and how you were feeling you did what you did to survive it mm-hmm. and that's the best thing that you can do isn't it and it will look different for everyone and it's as much as we shouldn't judge each other we shouldn't judge ourselves we should always come from a pace of of, of that kindness and compassion because it hurts right and the loneliness is real and having a glass of wine at the end of the day to try mm-hmm. and get through that because there's no quick fix to loneliness and grief is yeah. there you know when you've lost your spouse and you're at home because you've got the kids and you can't go out you can't and you don't particularly want to either so right I mean how did you deal with that I mean obviously that you had a glass of wine but that didn't continue forever obviously what is that something that you felt you you had to adapt to in in time and learn to to grow to like your own company again I was just thinking oh yeah you you date yourself you come Mm. home to yourself is what I I said oh at one point I'm coming back home to myself because now I have to figure out what were the things and Kevin and I were very independent so in a lot of respects I already knew the things that I liked but then we also had these big goals and dreams together Mm. as a couple. And so you're processing that you're processing the fact that you never thought you weren't going to be a wife. I always thought I was going to be married to Kevin forever. So then you're dealing with that as well. Right. And it is lonely. It's so lonely. And I dealt with that by crying on the bathroom floor (laughs) and Mm. falling apart and, um, going to friends houses who I knew were a safe space to just kind of let it all out. Maybe they'd cry with me um, or just listen, give me a hug, whatever it may be. Crying was crying, such an amazing, beautiful thing um, that I don't think that we give enough credit to. It's, I would literally ball my eyes out and then I would come back together and be like, like, this is hard. And I'm honoring that. And my tears are demonstrating that and it is okay to fall apart. I think I just gave myself grace, right? It is okay to fall apart. It is okay to be feel lonely and be jealous of others who aren't in your position. And, you know, just like no judgment on, on the way that things are going for you. Um, because no, it is. It, and then, and also being thrust into being a solo parent, I never, ever, ever. And I know that I speak to a lot of widow moms who feel the same way. Like I never signed up for this and this is so hard. And, you know, um, it's again, something that a lot of us feel guilt for even saying, but that feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, I would get angry at Kevin. Where are you? You left me, you abandoned me with this you know, at the time, 14 month old, who's now regressing in his sleep. And now, you know, again, even now he's three and a half and he throws all these attitudes and I'm just like, ah, you know, you're by yourself. Um, that's, a, those are huge things to process. But again, I am someone who I lean on community. I'm extremely verbal. You, I have found writing to be so cathartic and so helpful in this journey. Um, just sharing that raw honesty of what works for me and what I need. And just saying like, this is hard, not mm-hmm. trying to cover a bandaid on anything, you know, um, mm-hmm. my girlfriends who are newly widowed, I, I literally say, feel it all, feel mm-hmm. it all. 
just, it, it's a, it, it can be miserable to feel it all, but feel it all. Because if you let yourself fall to the floor and ball your eyes out and scream and do whatever you need to do, you're going to get off that floor. You're mm-hmm. not going to cry forever. You think you are You literally think you're going to cry forever, but you're going to get up and it's going to feel it's for, even if it's just temporary, it's going to feel better for a bit. And you're, yeah. and I think it's truly because you're acknowledging like this hurts. My heart is broken. I am missing my person. I'm so lonely. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of the journey in the beginning is mm-hmm. that feeling of just doing this all by yourself. Like no one knows what you need and you mm-hmm. don't know what you need. No. And so that's really, really hard. I would find myself crying in the shower, crying on my drive to work. Um, mm-hmm. But I kept saying to myself, like deep breaths, baby steps feel it all. And I just kept doing that and connecting with people for me, I, I needed, it didn't matter. It, especially as time moved forward. Um, if it was widow sisters that I was meeting with wonderful, if it was my mom, my sister, my good friends, someone that could just be there for me. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really nice because is- it does just make you feel a little less lonely. That's it for does. sure. Just having someone to, to sit with you, you know, whilst you, you cry and you feel the things that you need to feel. It's um, sometimes you want to be on your own, don't you? Sometimes you want to right. share that by right. yourself. Sometimes you want you to, oh, yeah. to have someone hug you and hold you whilst you do it. But again, it's, we're learning, aren't we? Like you say, we don't know what we want. We don't know how to navigate no. this. We don't understand our needs, our desires. We don't know that we need to have our grief witnessed at the beginning. You know, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> Right. You're gonna witness me on the ground falling my eyes out. No, yeah, like what are you talking about? Right. Right. Um, and, and and you know the secondary losses again. Another term. I was like, what? And you're learning all this new new jargon, aren't you? All oh, these right. Other right. grief that you'd never even thought about, given time to just living in an alien world that you have no idea who you even are in it your identity has been smashed your your confidence your self-esteem absolutely you don't know who you are where you fit where you're heading what you're doing and even if you're good enough to to do what it is you need to do um and and you need the people around you to hold you up you really Mm -hmm. do you know we cannot do this on our own and it is very much about connection and connecting with others but in in all that heartache Lauren in in all the devastation were there moments where you found like joy where you found that you you achieved something you never believed you achieved and you were like oh my god I'm invincible I'm amazing I can do this I mean for me I was very up and down but my ups were up and my downs were down and there were times Mm. when I honestly was on top of the world and I thought Mm. I could like (laughs) achieve anything Mm -hmm. you soon crash but I also created some wonderful memories and had some great times with my kids Mm -hmm. in in and amongst the 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 hurts and the heartache did you have anything in in your you know early days in the, the first year or two that yeah were good I did so the first couple months, I would not allow anything to come in that was joyful at all. I remember Christmas that year, 2019, everyone wanted to help decorate. Oh, let's put up the lights for you in a tree. And I was like, I don't want it. I don't, I genuinely don't want it. 
Mm -hmm. I don't want, and back to like the secondary losses and survivor's guilt that a lot of people don't talk about. I had so much guilt that I was getting to continue my life without Kevin. And so I was like, I don't want the tree. If Kevin can't have it, if Kevin can't see the sunset, then I don't want to watch the sunset and find joy. And few months into Kevin's death, I started saying to myself, okay, just find little moments, appreciate an opportunity to laugh, watch Lawson growing and smiling and talking and learning new things and be in the present moment. And I just grabbed on to just really tiny things. And sometimes I would feel guilt and sometimes I wouldn't. And I kind of ran with it. And then my big aha was probably about a year after Kevin's death. I, I don't know where I was. I just remember so vividly being like, I'm choosing to suffer. I'm choosing. This is a choice. And I'm choosing to not continue to love my life and live my life the way that I want to, because Kevin's not here. And that's so not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to me. I know that's not what he would want for me. And I had to come to those terms on my own because people over that year would say that to me, Oh, Kevin wouldn't want that for you. And I'm like, don't tell me what Kevin would want for me, but I did come to that space. And I really pain is natural. Suffering is a choice. And that's what I started telling my okay to feel pain. It's okay to feel discomfort, but I'm choosing to um, not smile. I'm choosing to not find joy in my journey. I'm choosing to not sit on the porch and watch the sunset like Kevin and I used to, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I really made a very intentional effort to, I took myself on my first vacation since Kevin had been gone. And, um, my first two nights away from Lawson ever, and started dating myself, coming home myself, figuring out what I wanted. What were the things that I still wanted to keep that Kevin and I had dreamt? What were the things that I was going to get rid of? What was I going to do for me? Um, this position, this administrative position came about and I decided to apply for it. And I started getting back into riding and mountain biking and, uh, kind of expanding on my friendships and touching back with some friends that we had kind of gone our separate ways after Kevin had died and circling back and seeing if we could rekindle a friendship. And there were so many things, but I just realized from that point on my, I I get to have a choice and I can move forward and just live in this state of despair and sorrow, or I can move forward and find joy and peace and comfort and love I can love someone. I can love others. I can be present in the moment and enjoy my son growing up all these things and have bits and pieces of pain and sadness here and there, because of course, we're always going to want our person to be here. Right. I, I do get so sad on days, just thinking about what Kevin is missing out on, but I don't live there. I don't Mm -hmm. live in that space. And I think that's the difference because living there is exhausting. And again, no judgment. Some people, it takes years and years to get out of that space. Some people don't ever recognize it. Some people recognize it really early on and don't want to be in that suffering space for a long period. Like for a year, some people might say that was really long, but for me, that is what I needed. And it was 
finally that wake up call that I gave to myself, like, this is daunting and exhausting. And Kevin would literally come down and be like, what are you doing, babe? This is like unacceptable. You know, I would never want this for you. And I want you to continue to live your life. And so, yeah, there were, there were definitely, um, intentional, very vivid moments that I remember having of just realizing, like, I still have the opportunity to live and I get to be here and Kevin doesn't, which is another reason why Mm -hmm. I should, I I, not even, I should, but that I want to be living Mm -hmm. my life to its fullest potential, but I didn't have like crazy highs per se more than more than I would say. I still get like this, like when I get intimidated by something, like even in this new position, if I get intimidated by something, I'm like, I've literally experienced some of the hardest shit you could ever go through. Like it's going to be okay. Like if this doesn't work out, it's going to be okay. You know? So in that respect, I do have a different perspective. I think I would have been real. I don't even know if I would have applied for the position if Kevin was still around, because I think I would have been really intimidated. It felt like I wasn't ready. I'm not sure of myself. And so that Mm -hmm. has changed a lot. And I've had some low lows, but not, um, yes, when I was going through the PTSD and when I was going through the panic attacks, I would say that that was a really, really low space for me, but overall in general, in the last year, year and a half, I would say that things have really, really lightened and I've been able to manage the highs and the lows a lot more easily than I did in the beginning. Mm. In the beginning, it's just almost uncontrollable, right? Yeah, Yeah, it is. You can't make sense of any of it. And I think, you know, reaching that moment, that having that, that aha moment, that moment of clarity of, you know, I, I am layering my grief with extra suffering that I don't need to add on to it. Is huge, isn't it? And I remember, I remember having a, a moment like that myself. But I think part of of that realization, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, was understanding that allowing myself to enjoy moments, to to have joy in my life, to appreciate the good, to laugh, to have fun, to feel okay didn't take anything away from me it didn't mean that I don't love Simon anymore it didn't mean Mm -hmm. that I'm not grieving him anymore that I'm better now that I'm over it that I'm being disloyal or that you know I'm leaving him behind it's it's understanding isn't it the the, the, the duality of grief it comes back to that doesn't it we have to spend time in our grief we have to spend time restoring our life and it's it's that that push and pull between the two and they're both a necessary part of the grieving process we can't live in our grief permanently we can't avoid it permanently either right. and, and we have to have space in in both but understanding that it's all it's all part of grief and, and I think we very much talk about grief as the pain and the heartache and, and the despair and devastation. And it is, it's, it's hugely that, but it's so much more as well. Cause we, it, you know, I think we learn so much. So much. Yeah. And, and it's, it's opening your heart to, to those things, I guess, isn't it? And, and it certainly sounds like you, you know, you have grown, you have learned, you have developed, you've got this confidence. Um, and, and I think it's that understanding I think one of my greatest lessons is that, like you've just said, this thing has happened to me. And if if I can get through that, that there's almost that that belief that I can deal with most things probably that come my way. Mm-hmm. And I don't 
I don't know what's next. I don't know what's on the other side of uncertainty, but I know that I'll figure it out along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite huge. I, I didn't ever have that. I never, I never had that belief in myself. And I think it certainly gives you that, doesn't it? Because you do figure it out. You, you know, it mm-hmm. takes a long time. It's not easy. It's ugly. It's chaotic but you find a way through it somehow very slowly and bit by bit, you, you put it back together. Don't you? You do. I remember my girlfriend, Amanda telling me in the beginning that you gain a new lens on life. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, when she told me, I was like two or three weeks out and I was just like, I don't want a new lens. No. I was grateful. I was happy. I loved mm-hmm. the life that I had, but if you allow yourself, because that really is a big piece of it, right? It's mm-hmm. genuinely allowing yourself to almost live, well, to live the best life you've ever lived in some respects. And I couldn't even say that in the beginning without feeling so much guilt. And it's mm-hmm. not because I'm not living the best life because Kevin's not here, right? And I, I said that it's not, it's not in spite of him. It's because of what I've learned from loss that I have a choice. Like I can give more and I can love deeper and I can be more present and I can be more forgiving in, in a way that I think that we just, it's just natural as humans to take advantage of when you don't truly understand how, how quickly someone can be gone, how quickly you can be gone. And again, that was part of the suffering. Like it was something that I wouldn't allow. I wouldn't allow myself to say anything about this life being better in any respect after Kevin died. Mm -hmm. And then I would say probably within the last six months, I'm like, Oh, but there are things that I started to do for myself that were better. And I wish Kevin could be here to see it. Right. Mm -hmm. That like I've allowed, because you do have a new lease on life. You do have a new lens on life. And, um, I've become someone that I'm even more proud of. And that I, I I'm hoping that Kevin sees from afar, um, But a lot of us, I think, stunt ourselves because of that guilt, because Mm -hmm. of the fact that if you're living your best life, if you're doing things that make you happy and smile again, that somehow we're not honoring that person or getting them or we are, you know, um, moving on without Mm -hmm. them. And there's so much that we can learn about grief and, and understanding that that's not how we do things and Mm. that there is no moving on. There's only moving forward and we can carry them with us and we can choose to do that however we would like. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's a a lot of grief is reflection and intentional effort to move forward in a way that, that you want, that's positive, that, um, that you sometimes have to push through those guilty feelings to have. Yeah. And I think sometimes we're not ready for, for certain ideas, for, for right. certain beliefs. Absolutely. And, I, and I always say to my clients, you, you know, when you hear something that maybe doesn't quite resonate or you're, it's too soon and you just think, oh, I can't I can't cope with that. That, that doesn't feel right to me where I am. It's, it's almost saying to yourself, learning that, you know, right here, right now, that doesn't feel like my my truth my reality or a possibility even for me but just being open enough to say that in the future that could be 
a possibility, mm-hmm. a truth, mm-hmm. a belief for me. But, you know, I'm here where I am now and this is what's going on for me. But I'm I'm open to it at some point in the future. And, and I think it's it's learning that, isn't it? Because your story, your story changes as you go through your journey. It really does. It evolves. Mm. And I think it's so valid for everyone. And by maybe valid's not the right word that I'm looking for, but I, I, that's such a wonderful point that you bring up because I was not ready for it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you weren't ready for it. We were all in that space at one point. I remember seeing other women's Instagram accounts, meeting other widows that were like four or five years out. And I'm like, who are you posting these, you know, positive um, quotes on your Instagram page and saying that love is possible and a better life is possible. Like I, mm -mm. and sometimes it really agitated me. Mm -hmm. So that's such a great point that you bring about that. Like you may not be ready for these truths, you know, and they may not ever be yours. Yeah. And so again, like, I just, the things that I tell my girlfriends is just hold hope. Like you said, that it Mm. could be, if that's what you want, hold hope to knowing that it's not always this hard. Mm. It's you're going to remember to breathe again. You're going to be able to smile again. You're going to be able to laugh about the memories that you have before you're crying and all those things. But especially in the beginning, that does not look that way. And it did not look like that for me. I did not just evolve into the person that I evolved into now right no. away. And this is, this is two and a half years out. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's still, you know, two and a half years is still fairly early, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we think that it, it, we should be further in our journey. And, you know, you've shared so much, Lauren, you have, it's, it's been amazing. And I'm conscious of your time, but I just... Just could you quickly share sort of what your grief does look like for you now? You know, how how are you honoring Kevin in your life? How are you coping, you know, with your with your grief? And, and how are you doing with that two and a half years on? Yeah, I mean, some days are still really hard and tears come. But life is lighter. The acceptance of Kevin's death is is not as heavy as it used to be. Um, I have learned that it's okay to start a new chapter and to explore what that might look like. So I started dating a while ago and um, bought a new home and I'm journeying that life with me and my son and figuring out what that looks like for us. And we put in a memorial bench for Kevin and a lot of our friends, it was just Kevin's birthday last weekend. So we went up there and we hiked to it and we toasted and we, you know, had all the happy birthday stuff. Um, something I was just telling a girlfriend of mine the other day, and I swear this was like on an unconscious level, but Kevin's love language was acts of service. He was the type of person who would bring me a coffee every single morning to bed and would would take care of Lawson or make dinner when he knew I was busy and having a hard day or like come rub my feet or rub my head. And he was just someone who wanted to make you feel good. And that's how he was with his friends too. And that was not something that came naturally to me when we were married. It was very much something that I was like, "Ah, okay, I'll do it because I know that would make Kevin feel good. But it's so strange because I found that 
like I said, probably on an unconscious level that I've taken on that love language of his. Um, and I think it's a way of me carrying him forward. I love doing things for other people. I love bringing someone a dinner. I love, you know, helping where I can. And like in my new relationship, if I'm the one to bring the coffee or if I'm the one to make dinner, I'm the one to do something that can make them feel cared for. I do. And that's something I was just talking about the other day. Like, wow, I feel like this is a way of moving heaven forward in my life Mm. and still feeling his love through me. Mm. But there's just lots of things, you know, like I said, um, dreams of owning real estate. We still, he wanted to do that. He wanted to invest in real estate. That's something that I still want to do for me, for us, um, you know, raising our child a certain way and taking him traveling and, you know, just exploring all of those kind of things, talking about Kevin. I talk about Kevin every single day. Mm-hmm. And my first date that I ever went on when I was, you know, at dinner, I, I said very blatantly, like my late husband will always be a part of my life. And Mm -hmm. whoever I move forward with will have to understand that I will always share space in my heart for my late husband. And then whoever is there too. And I've been very, very fortunate to have met someone who has no problem with that and has allowed me to carry Kevin forward in a really wonderful way in a way that I need words you know, still posting pictures of Kevin, still talking about the memories that we had, still talking about his impact on Lawson's life, even though Lawson was very little. Um, but those are the things me just keep him alive because mm-hmm. I saw something right after Kevin died, a post someone had made saying, I won't like twice. And I so truly believe that it's like, I don't feel indebted to do that. I want to do that. I want to continue Kevin's legacy and um, just do things that would make him proud, that make me proud, that continue to keep his memory alive. Mm. And it's so it's so important, I think, to us, isn't it, to feel like they are honored in our lives and they come forward with us and that they're not forgotten and and it can very much feel like they have been sometimes they get talked about less frequently and there's less to we talk talk about about them less frequently yes yes Mm -hmm. And, and it's hard but I think like you say to reflect on the 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 things that you loved about them and to bring that into your life and know that they have shaped who you become they have taught you things that you hold dear in their life and in their death actually and and it can feel like a really lovely way of of honoring who they were and and the impact they had on your life and and you're right that they're always going to have a very special place in our hearts you know that that love does live on It, it changes it evolves but it's always there but it's you know Lauren it's just been so lovely talking to you it really has you you share so much hope and honesty and rawness and wisdom Mm -hmm. I know it's going to to help so many people resonate with with everything that you've said oh I hope so they will they will and you you know I hope you know moving forward that you continue to 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 do well and you you know that things go well with with dating and your new home and your job <laughs> thank just you to shine because you're you're wonderful you really are so thank you so much Thanks, Lauren. it's been wonderful thank you you're welcome thank you 
Thank you so much for listening today on The Widow Podcast. If you would like to find out more about how I can help you, please visit my website, www.karensutton.co.uk. I would love to help you find your way forward to a brighter future. So get in touch, let's have a conversation and let's help you take back control and find a more positive way through your grief. I look forward to hearing from you.